All of the podcasts here at the Sideshow Network are now at the touch of a button on your iPhone and iPad. With the new Sideshow Network app, tune into all your favorite podcasts here at the Sideshow Network. Go to iTunes App Store, search for Sideshow Network, and download our free app to stream all of your favorite Sideshow Network podcasts at any time you want. The top comedians in the world are at your fingertips with the Sideshow Network app for iPhone and iPad. So you're thinking about starting a new website? Maybe you have a new small business idea and want to tell someone or sell something online. Maybe you want to show off your photography. Or maybe you want to start that new podcast. Ah, huh. that's a great idea. <laughs> GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. That's impossible. They're always $9.99 or $12.99. They're $12.99, but right now GoDaddy's offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. On the actual internet or is this some BS sub-internet? No, no, this is GoDaddy.com. We all use GoDaddy.com. Everything I have is on GoDaddy.com. I know. And each new .com comes with a free instant page website and a built-in photo album, so what are you waiting for? I don't believe it. Get your website started today. I think it sounds like a scam. It can't possibly be true. GoDaddy's not a scam. They have... uh, uh, that hot check, Danica Patrick, for mm-hmm. their stuff. So it's not a scam. Plus, I use it for everything. It better not be a scam. <laughs> Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code FORK at the checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website. And you're all set to go. Fork you if you don't take <laughs> advantage of this incredible GoDaddy deal. I'm going to take advantage of it. Ah, I feel good. It's that time again, another episode of Fork on the Road, the all-comedy, all-travel, all-foodie show right here on the Sideshow Network. I'm your erstwhile host, Mark DiCarlo, and to my right, the lovely, the talented, the well-traveled Yenny Alvarez DiCarlo. Welcome! Yay! We another on- one! Woohoo! 25! Show 25. We were on the road last week in Chicago, and we actually did the episode from the Admirals Club that in, was fun. In O'Hare Airport, but we were very quiet. It no, was we a, were not. Yes, it was like a public radio show because we were huddled in the back and we were talking <laughs> like this. And uh, today's show, we can be loud because we're back in our studios in Los Angeles. What a week. Loud. What a week we had. Had a great time in Chicago. Um, I hosted the Flavors event for the American Liver Foundation. We raised, that was amazing. We yeah. have to talk about that because that was incredible. It is a great event. They do 22 of them all around the country in different cities, and what they do in Chicago is a template for what they do around the rest of the country. They invited... The top chefs. How many? 20 of the best chefs in Chicago were there. They each cooked for a table of 10 people, Mm -hmm. so you had one chef cooking for one table, five courses. And the chefs would come in and give you the first course and explain what it was, and then the sommelier would come by and give you the wine pairing and explain about that wine, and it was brilliant. Now, I was hosting the event, so I didn't get to eat, so what? what oh. who, who was your chef? What table? You, you were at table 14. Yes, our chef was Rick from Prime House. Uh-huh, which is and, a steakhouse in Chicago. Yes, and everything. Um, oddly enough, the first course was um, sashimi. Oh. The appetizer was sashimi. What kind? Halibut. Mm. You know what? I took a photo of uh, 
I took a photo. We should put that on our website. We should. We should. You know what? I had so much fun with the wines and the pairings and talking to the sommelier and having the, the I don't even know how to say the names of the wine, something Blanc Fumé. And he said it with an accent too. It was so funny. <laughs> and uh, just the food was incredible. I know that you set me aside and you brought in from a different table. Mm-hmm. I brought from this- the Galleria Marchetti chef. A delicious caprese salad. It was a peeled whole tomato. How do they make that? What you do is you boil water. You take a tomato. You boil water. You throw the tomato in the boiling water for about 15, 20 seconds. Then you pull it out and you immediately dunk it in ice water. And the That's mi- called scaring the tomato. <laughs> it would scare you if you were doing that with your own tomatoes. In Spanish, that's what it's called. Scaring it? Well, scaring the tomato. these were terrified because as soon as you do that, the meat of the tomato shrinks faster than the skin and the skin just peels off. So it was a... Comp- oh, it shrinks when it hits cold water. I, you know that for a fact. <laughs> so these perfectly peeled tomatoes are sitting on a plate with balsamic vinegar and sitting on a couple of big chunks of buffalo mozzarella oh, cheese. It was really a great caprese head. salad and little basil running around it. That was from Galleria Marchetti. But fast? at your table, it was a five-course meal. It started with sashimi. What kind of sashimi? The sashimi was tuna and fluke. And I don't really know what fluke is, but it was a white fish. And kind of like halibut. Halibut for the halibut. And it had uni in it. Have you ever had uni? think so. The texture is like Yuck. very creamy. Yeah. No, it's delicious. Okay. It's like a paste with radishes and um, soy sauce and grapefruit, believe it or not. And what was the second course? The second course was scallops. Oh, and you know me scallops. and my scallops. There were it's so far, it does not sound very steakhousey to me, very prime I know, house-y. but later on, we had veal sweetbreads mm. with uh, a spinach gnocchi and some celery puree and mushrooms and pomegranates. I love the combination of a little bit of fruit in your meal. It chef just Rick brings a great everything chef. out. And then oh. the uh, fourth course, the main course? No, the main course was the the 55-day dry-aged ribeye. I had some of that. That was killer. It was incredible. I'm not a a big meat person, so that's why I sent it over to you. That's why I ate it off your plate. Exactly. that's right. And then what did you have for dessert? It was a Tahitian vanilla cheesecake. (laughs) Oh, it was so good. If you're going to have cheesecake, Tahitian vanilla is the way to go. Once you do that, you never go back. (laughs) And that was paired up with... um, Perrier Champagne. And they do these events. They're called Flavors Events. And you can go to the AmericanLiverFoundation.org and you can find out where and when the event is in your city. They do them at 22 cities around the country. And it's always the best local chefs. It's in a big banquet hall. And the food is stellar. The wine pairing is stellar. It's a great way for the American Liver Foundation to raise funds and raise awareness the, the, the Liver Foundation does two things. They raise money for liver research. They also do information and teaching about organ doning. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and a lot of the people matching for people them that need that a liver. On those events are volunteers that you know they they other doctors, nurses, yeah, and people that and 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 um, donor recipients. Yeah, yeah. actually, we had a real the the um, Spotlight family at. Uh, the event in Chicago, little uh, Tommy Riley is this he little. Was so <laughs> he was that kid, three years old. When he was one year old, he almost died because of liver failure. And at the very last minute, they found him a liver donor, put the donor, put the liver in, and he's been living healthily for two years. This little three year old kid came up with me on stage 
and wasn't well, he was very shy. shy. Before. He was shy before, but once he got on stage, I put him on the chair, and he's blowing kisses like he's Elvis <laughs> Presley. He's blowing kisses to girls. He's pointing at girls. He was hilarious. He was so cute. And um, uh, Jean Riley, his mom, very brave woman. She came up and told the whole story, and I think that really um, made an impression on the people of the room. I mean, when you, you can hear all the facts and figures, mm-hmm. but when you actually see a little boy who would not be alive. Yeah, if it, if wasn't, it wasn't for the generosity and the hard work of all the people at the American Liver Foundation, it really hits home. And it was a it was an honor and a pleasure to be involved in the event. And uh, I'm going to continue to be involved with the Liver Foundation. So go to AmericanLiverFoundation.org and find out when the Flavors event is coming to your town. And go, I guarantee you, you will have a fabulous time. It was like. It was like going to a wedding, except the food was super excellent, and you didn't have to do any of the bullshit that you have to do at a wedding. And they come over and they explain to you what the food is. It's very exclusive. Right. It's very high-end. It's like having your they, own private chef. Yes, and the sommelier was fantastic. Right. Matt. Matt gave me a Matt. tie clip that matched my, my cufflinks. Oh. A little... <laughs> little. I have these... And um, he, was, he knew everything compass. about yeah. the, the wine. Yeah. He, Good people I mean, over I there was, at the Liver Foundation. Very sweet, very nice. They did a great job. Um, AmericanLiverFoundation.org flavors event. They do them all year long. One's coming to a city near you very soon. And you know what? It's even if you're time. not into, if, even if this is not the charity of your choice, what you get, really, the the chef cooking for you and the the wines and all the oh, delicious it's a great food, just forget it. It's a great deal. Yeah, just it's, the ticket price it's was just cheap. The event Can, itself, yeah. it's phenomenal. Forget you know, it, it goes to a great cause. But if you're looking to impress a date. You bring her to one oh, of these deals because not only are they going to get a good meal, they're going to think, "Oh my God, this guy's He's so nice. Person. He's contributing money heart. to a good event." And and believe me, if you're trying to get over on a new girl, that's oh, the way this to would go, be it. right? Oh, absolutely. So much better than going to TGI Fridays and splitting an appetizer. <laughs> yeah, that's the long way. If you're looking for the sh- if you're looking for the <laughs> shortest point really between A girl? and B, yeah, no, this is it was fantastic, and uh, I thank the Jackie Dominguez and all the people at the Liver Foundation for including me. It was a great, uh, great time. Did a couple episodes of Windy City Live in Chicago, and then I got back to L.A. and we had a great weekend here. We did the San Gennaro feast with Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. My band, Old Blues Eyes, played. We rocked the house, and we're playing again this weekend. We're playing Saturday night at La Dolce Vita Festival, which is an Italian food festival in I Laguna. I love Italian food festivals. Oh, and this is a good one too. It's in Laguna Niguel, California, down in Orange County. South Orange County. That's the one where they do the Tarantellas. Marco. Marco de Vespa, my piano player, will be playing. I think his name is Marco Luciani. Not anymore. Are you changing his name? I am. It used to be Enzo Di Giorno. Right. Now it's Marco de Vespa. Right. And it's Marco de Vespa because of something he did on a Vespa while he was in Italy that I don't think is appropriate for this venue. (laughs) But you know what? One day we'll have we'll have Marco in here and he can tell the story himself. Because if How you knew Marco, no, if you knew show? Marco, you, you know he's to. one of the funniest guys in person. But the minute he's on stage, he clams up like the Warner Brothers frog. Well, now he's going to be behind Ribbit. the microphone. Ribbit. Ribbit. No, whenever he's supposed to be funny, he's not funny. I think he does it to spite me. <laughs> but we'll try and make him funny. It's this weekend, Saturday night, the 5th of October. You can go to La Dolce Vita Festival.com in. Uh, Laguna Niguel, California. So if you're in Southern California, come out and see the band. We play from 7.30 to 10. Old Blues Eyes. We're going to have a good time. And there's lots of good pizza. Um, Moretti beer. It's a great festival. Oh, yeah. Big, fun Italian food Filled festival. Filled with Italians. It you is. can practice your Italian there. And dance the tarantella. 
Oh, it's going to be great. It's great. It's great. Can't beat it. Can't beat traveling and fooding. we got two great guests on the show today. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking to Rick Amour, the um, owner and proprietor of the Bellini Company, which is like a new kind of beverage. It's like a sparkling... Well, I think it's a new take of champagne. Right. But it's not regular champagne. It's something different. I know. It's so good. Right. It's, it's like a, a, a peachy... It's like a it's a Bellini. Well, I don't know, I don't know what a Bellini a is. It's a peach. It's peach puree with champagne. But basically, he put it all together, packaged it in uh, in a champagne bottle, uh-huh. and um, that's what it is. Okay. All right. So that uh, we're going to be talking to him in a minute, and uh, very soon we're going to talk to our first guest. Uh, his name is Rick Brown, and he's written a great book. Uh, I love this kind of book because it's kind of similar to my book, A Fork on the Road. Rick went and he found some of the oldest restaurants in America. His book is called A Century of Restaurants, Stories and Recipes from a Hundred of America's Most Historic and Successful Restaurants. But before we get to Rick, we have producer Sean here. There's another big thing going on this weekend, and it's down in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and it's the Cabo Comedy Festival. And uh, and our network, the Sideshow Network, is involved in this, Sean? Yes. And how are, how are we involved? Well, we are going to be uh, we are sponsoring uh, the festival, and they will be having a lot of uh, sideshow network talent. For instance, who? For instance, uh, we do have uh, Jim Cren from Jim Cren No Restrictions. Mm-hmm. Also, Hal Sparks from Hal Sparks Pod Bay. Oh, I like him. Yes, he will Hal be Sparks. there. He was in a great TV show a long time ago called Queer as Folk. Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. That was like mommy porn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, I never missed an episode. And uh, I had the lineup. Who uh, else, Sean? Uh, well, also, Kevin Pollock's going to be making an appearance. One of the funniest guys oh, on the planet. Yes. Uh, uh, Billy Reback is going to be performing down there. Billy Reback. Okay, he is the funniest man alive. He used to write for Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. And I Tim Allen. Him. He has written some of the jokes that you... It's say over and over, but you would never know that this is the this is where it came from. Well, unless you talk to Billy. Billy <laughs> Billy is the first one to remind you. Billy's been oh, on the show. He's so hilarious. Funny. And who else, Sean? Um, I also know uh, Annie Lederman from Chelsea Lately. Okay, uh, who's a who's a young upcoming comic. She's gonna be uh, performing there as well as uh, Paul Provenza, another funny guy. And, and what is the idea? It's called the Cabo Comedy Festival. This is the first one ever. Yes, and. Is who's gonna be who's in the audience? Is it Americans? Is it Mexicans? Are people supposed to come from America to go down to Cabo? I think it's basically if you're looking for a, a getaway uh-huh. in the uh, the middle of fall here, and right. uh, if you you know, and if you're if you want to come from wherever you are, and you just say, you know what, I want to go to go for a comedy festival. I want to relax. I want to have a good time because there's lots of parties, lots of uh, tequila, lots of tequila, yeah. you know, lots of uh, comedians plus tequila equals unwanted pregnancy. Basically, basically, you're paying for a raucous atmosphere. Also, sideshows gonna be, uh, you know, we're gonna be having a presence there as well with some uh, live podcasting. Oh, so uh, we'll be able to we'll be able to sample it with our ears, yes, if, not, yes. if not our tongues. Yes, yeah, so I, I believe uh, Jim Cren will be doing some podcasting while he's down there. Uh, you know, so we'll be having, you know, we'll definitely be represented. And, uh, you know, we definitely hope people will check it out. Who from the studio here is going? Are you going? I am not going. Oh. I will be at the L.A. Podfest here Ooh. in uh, Los Angeles. And what is that? The L.A. Podfest is basically uh, a lot of comedy podcasts that are all getting together. It's the second annual L.A. Po- LA, Co- LA Podfest. Pod- eh, why can't I say it? The L.A. Podfest Festival. <laughs> po- <laughs> the L.A. Podcast Comedy <laughs> I you know I am going to it. No no you could you could. I'll, we're gonna leave this all. 
the LA Podcast Festival this weekend. And it's what a, is the LA Podcast Festival? It's the it's the premier podcast festival. It's the second one they're doing. Uh, so all the guys that do podcasts are coming together in an actual venue well, and doing gonna, live broadcasts from yes, there. Yeah, they're all going to be well, not just. There's multiple vent, multiple rooms in this venue. It's uh-huh. at the Sheraton Delfina in Santa Monica. Beautiful hotel. It's going to be a loud night. It's a loud night. Well, it's it's a lot of fun though. I mean, I went last year and there was uh, you know there was. Uh, it's being spon- sponsored and brought to you by Comedy Film Nerds, who are, uh, you know, people may know uh, Chris Mancini and Graham Elwood. They have a, a show together, and they help put this uh, podcast festival together. And and are uh, you working it, or are you just going to Well, we're going to have Sideshow's going to be represented there as well. Uh-huh. We are going to have uh, Phil Hendry doing Bobby Dooley. Talk about Billy's funny. Phil Hendry is a... He's a comedy genius on the level of yes. Groucho Marx, Woody Allen, and George Carlin. For people that don't know, uh, is he on nationally? I mean, he, I, his I radio show? I believe so. I believe it's, it's I, I'm not exactly sure where his status is right now, but you can check him out if you go to Phil Hendry. Uh, is Phil, Phil Hendry show? PhilHendryShow.com. One of the funniest, the funniest radio host I've ever heard. He does, I'm not even going to tell you what he does. He's just hilarious. Just <laughs> look him up. And listen to a couple of his check shows. Out, check out, uh, if you actually, if you want to get a preview of what's going on at the podcast festival, check out uh, the on, on the SideshowNetwork.tv website mm-hmm, with Bobby Dooley <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. some of the interviews he's done mm-hmm. as uh, Bobby mm-hmm. Dooley. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> also, at the festival will be Storyworthy with uh, Christine Blackburn and Hannes Finney, and their guests will be uh, Pearl Aday, who uh, is Meatloaf's daughter. Ah, and, that's right. Uh, Marvin Aday is Meatloaf's actual name. Yeah, Meatloaf's daughter and wife to Scott Ian from Anthrax. That's how I kind of know her. You're a heavy. From. You're a heavy nice. duty rocker. I was. I, I, I had. I had my period. Oh I, really? I, oh yeah. Is that okay. why you've been so cranky? <laughs> need need an leave. <laughs> You know what? I'm sorry we bothered you. Just go back <laughs> no, no, in the corner and put a blanket no, no, on so and just talk relax. more about the podcast festival real quick oh. and just mention also um, <laughs> Man School with Caleb Bacon will also be there as well from the Sideshow Network. So go to LAPodcastFestival.com and uh, you can get the line up there and uh, Cabo Comedy Festival as well for the information for Cabo. So much comedy this weekend. Unbelievable. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. Producer Sean Merrick Woo-hoo. turning the buttons, informing you of what's going on and what's worthwhile every weekend, which is why you should listen to our show. That's why we come out on Thursday. We tell you everything that's happening on the weekends so you don't have to have a boring weekend. When you go to work on Monday and people go, what'd you do? Do you want to be the loser that goes, nothing? <laughs> no, you want to say, oh, I went to the Cabo Comedy Comedy Fest and I drank tequila and barfed next to Paul Provenza. It was fantastic. <laughs> or I saw Sean Merrick at the podcast festival. And by the weekend, he was able to pronounce the podcast festival. <laughs> it was a great weekend. I'm so mad that I'm back here at work on Monday. I wish it was a weekend again. Oh, now be- And one last thing before we go to our first guest. Speaking of the weekend, five days ago, Breaking Bad, Sunday night. Oh. Oh. Fantastic. I- I'm going to say the best, I'm gonna say the best drama on, that's ever been on television. Oh. Brian Cranston, everyone on that what show. What about 24? I'm going to put Breaking Bad over 24. You really? Yep. Huh. I, I mean, don't know. 20, I would, 24 I would... was great and exciting, and I would scream when that was over, too. But the the just, just the twists and turns, you never, 
at least I never saw anything coming on Breaking Bad ever. It was a fantastic show. So congratulations to my friend Brian Cranston and everyone involved my in the friend. show. Oh, let me pick up that name. Uh, you oh, know what? Grab something. I am so proud that he would be able to pick me out of a police lineup. <laughs> we've done a couple of shows together. I was on Malcolm in the Middle, and we kind of stayed in touch. He, We've done a couple other shows together, and he's a supremely talented guy, and I'm real happy for him. And uh, uh, I'm sure whatever he does next will be fantastic. Uh, and we're going to be watching. Huh? He's in Godzilla. He's in Godzilla? Yeah. Playing who? I don't know. Godzilla. He was, you know, he was great in Argo. Yeah. He every every role he takes, even if it's like a little dinky role, he makes something special out of it. He's just a very memorable actor, and that show was fantastic. So uh, that was that was last weekend. This weekend is the comedy plethora of events in Cabo and in Los Angeles. If you get bored of that, you come and hear the band. No matter what you do, wherever you are, you have to eat. And people have been eating for thousands of years. And our first guest today has written a book that sounds fantastically interesting, which is why we have him on the show, because the show's called A Fork on the Road. And I guarantee you, our first guest has lifted many, many, many forks on his road. Let's welcome Rick Brown. Welcome to A Fork on the Road. How are you, Rick? Hi, Rick. I am super. How are you guys? Great. Boy, you know what? We uh, uh, we travel an awful lot for food events and things, but I'm guaranteeing it doesn't sound like we've done anything like you've done. I want to hear about your book and about your travels and what made you think of it. First of all, the, the, the title of the book, it's, it's one of the longest titles I've ever read for a book. <laughs> a Century of Restaurants, <laughs> Stories and Recipes from a Hundred of America's Most Historic and Successful Restaurants. Wow. Right. Well, we actually, the title is just A Century of Restaurants, and it's sort of a double play. A century means 100, mm-hmm. so there's 100, and each of these restaurants is between 100 and 300 years old. Wow. Wow. And the oldest restaurant in America is? Uh, the White Horse Tavern in Newport, Rhode Island. It's uh, from the 1600s. I thought, it was, three, I thought it was the Union Oyster House in Boston. Well, there's many that claim that, but um, the, in actual fact, the White Horse is older. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, there are three 300-year-old restaurants, and there are 32 200-year-old restaurants, and the rest of them in the book were merely 100. Merely. Merely. And, you, uh-huh. and you, asked, you asked me about my inspiration or what made me do this, and yes. I think it's labeled under temporary insanity <laughs> that, that lasted about three years. Um, I drove... Uh, 46,000, I drove and flew 46,000 miles around the country to do the book. On your own dime? Uh, uh, well, on the, some of the publishers' dime, but uh, publishers don't do what they used to do anymore. Tell me about so it. So I was on, on a, yeah, you've got, you've got a book, you know the deal. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of budget motels and things. In fact, some of the places... I stayed in. My wife gets a kick when I tell people I wouldn't even take off my socks at night. I'd just walk across the carpet, get in bed, get up in the morning, and leave. What's the grossest hotel but, you've ever been in? I can't even remember the name of it. I found it at 2 o'clock in the morning. It looked like a uh, a prison cell from Dachau. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't even go into the bathroom, more or less use the bathroom. 
But, you know, it was like 27 bucks. It was 2 in the morning. I, I slept for about five hours, got up, and got the heck out of Dodge. Where were you? Do you remember? I was outside of, uh, <laughs> excuse me, outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, right. That's Breaking Bad territory. Oh, yeah. They were probably cooking yeah. meth in there. <laughs> so yeah, the, well, the White Horse has been in business for over 300 years. Are they still using the same fry oil they used when they opened? Uh, probably not because, um, actually they didn't fry much in those days. They threw things on the fire. Um, they, they put, cooked on a, uh, in a stove, a pot that was hung on the fire. They didn't do much frying mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they don't serve quite the same thing. In fact, none of the restaurants do except, uh, one or two. Uh, one of the restaurants in Portland, Oregon, Dan and Louie's Oyster Bar, they opened in, in 1908. They served the exact same recipe for oyster stew, except they put in a little less salt these days. Wow. But um, it, it's pretty amazing some of the stories that come out of these restaurants. It's literally a history of America as seen through its restaurants. I mean, there's just great stories about uh, um, famous authors and movie stars and, and soldiers and Indians and bad guys, all who were involved in these restaurants. For instance, did you know that Ho Chi Minh was a baker at the Parker House in Boston? Are you kidding? Wow. And the Parker House is where the uh, Boston cream pie was invented. Boston cream pie and Parker House rolls. That's correct. And, uh, he wait. He was and, he was a, he was a baker there before or after he went and ran North Vietnam. Before and apparently, when he left the employee of the restaurant was heading back home, he tried to burn the place down, but was unsuccessful. Ah, so I that should have been a tip off. Employee. That should have been a tip off. That's an interesting piece of trivia. It's too bad. You know I'm what? If Billy he had been the, a better... How about Billy the Kid washing dishes at a restaurant in New Mexico? How do they prove that kind of stuff? I guess through a thing called history. Uh, somebody, somebody wrote it down and somebody repeated it to somebody else. The interesting thing is, Pat Garrett, who ended Billy the Kid's uh, experience on this earth, went to celebrate his victory by having dinner at the, the same uh, hotel where... He used to be a dishwasher. Right? Wow. And so all of these stories, you, you go to the venue, you go to the restaurant, and you're obviously the folklore exists on site. So you're gathering these stories firsthand. So this, this really is a, an amazing history of America told through food. Well, yeah, it is. And, and the thing is, there's so, when I started, I thought I might find 50. Um, I did searches on the internet, and I found over 250, and I know I've probably missed 30 or 40 somewhere. So how did you decide uh, which hundred to go to? Well, I tried to pick them on, on geographic distribution. Uh, I could have done 40 in New York City alone, but right. who wants to read about 40 New York City 100-year-old restaurants? So uh, Self-involved New Yorkers would probably read about it. Right. I'm a, uh, it is the center of the states. world. You're what? I'm sorry? Uh, she was saying it's this it's the center of the world just asking a new yorker or ask me yeah well right but I, I went to 45 states i tried to do them by ambiance by um historical relevance by uniqueness of their cuisine or their restaurant mm -hmm. uh, i mean i've got i've got a, a tavern that used to literally be where pirates hung out 
and where Robert Louis Stevenson went, spent some time, and drew inspiration from the people he met for Treasure Island. Where is that um, place? That's in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Or, I'm sorry, it's in uh, Savannah, Georgia. It's called the Pirate House. And it literally was a place where pirates um, came and enjoyed themselves and did their wenching and everything else. Um, it's right on the right on the waterfront there in Savannah, right? I think I've been there. That's right. And it's a pretty funky place. Yeah, and there are ghosts pirate. all over the place. There are ghosts of Captain Flint and some of the other people. Have you seen these uh, ghosts of, yourself, a lot of Rick? Ghosts in this book. Have you seen the ghosts yourself? Uh, only after six or seven rum and coke. <laughs> Which is what, that's what the pirates drank, right? Rum and coke? The Cuban pirates. Uh, yeah, well, I think they just took out, I think they just left the, uh, the soft drink out of it and drank plain old hard rum. Arr, I use Diet Coke because I'm watching my figure. That's right. There's a restaurant in Ohio where there was a, a hole in the floor, and, and the, obviously the wood had been replaced. So I took a picture of it because I do things like that, and I asked the owner, what happened there? And she says, well, uh, a long time ago, this author came in with his dog, and he took his dog for a walk, and when the dog was good, he'd buy him a steak, and they just threw it down on the floor, and the dog would eat it. Well, apparently the dog was pretty good because the floor got rotted from the, the steak meat juices and the dog's Ew. saliva, mm. and they replaced it. And I said, well, gee, that's kind of neat, but who is this guy? Well, she said... <clears throat> there have been more books written about this dog and movies and television shows than any other in history, and it's the only restaurant in America that they can say that Lassie ate there. Really? The original really? Lassie? Wow. The original Lassie. Wow. Uh, and uh, I got another one for you that's even funnier, and I'm not making fun of the owner, but, well, I'll let you assume for yourself. You can make fun of him if you'd like. <laughs> in, in in the little town in Nebraska, there's this place called the Bozeman Trail Inn. And it's it burned down a couple of times, so I photographed it and photographed the food and talked to the owner. And then I got home to Washington, and I called, talked to the, the mother of the owner, who had run it for a number of years. <clears throat> and at the end of a 45-minute conversation, uh, I said to her, well, you know, this is the Bozeman Trail. There were Indian massacres or cowboys. Did anything really funky ever happen? Did the Indians ever invade and scalp people? Or Oh, no, nothing like that happened. And then she said, but wait a minute, you're an author. One time we had an author that sat here for a week editing a book that his uh, editor sent him from New York. He sat right at the end of the bar and edited this book. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is Joe Baloney and his in Montana Wildlife book. And that said, was well, a great book, the name, though, of the, name of the author or the book? He says, well, I can't remember the name of the author, but the book is um, a farewell to something. <laughs> and I said, a farewell to arms, Ernest Hemingway? <laughs> she said, yeah, do you know him? <laughs> do you know him? I, I swear oh. to God. Uh. I just about fell off my chair. And I said, do you realize <clears throat> if you put a picture of Ernest Hemingway on the wall, put a plaque on the bar, got an old funky bar stool, People will literally come from around the world to go to your tavern. Really? Well, we're not much for book learning around here. Oh. I, Welcome I, to America. I, I, I. Welcome That's to right. America. But I bet but, she could tell you the sure. name of every person on the Kardashian show. <laughs> may, mayhap, mayhap. But, you know, there's literally unique stories like this from from all over the country that really show how much restaurants are important to us 
but maintaining the culinary culture that we have instead of just giving up everything to fast food places. I agree. I, mean, I think unless, you can tell. Unless we protect and go to these places, they're going to friggin' disappear. I could not agree with you more. That's, my whole book is all about that. We did, you know, when I was doing the Travel Channel show, <laughs> we tried to go to mom and pop places. And I think you can tell a story about an entire culture based on their food. You know, you, <clears throat> the stuff that you eat down oh, in Key West, absolutely. Florida, it, you're eating key, key lime pie comes from Key West, Florida because that's what they have there. They have the, right. the key lime, you know, the, the st- Chicago is famous for steaks because we had the stockyards there and people ate steaks and chilies <laughs> grow in. in... For, right. Texas is famous for brisket because nobody wanted the brisket. Right. So the Cowboys just said, well, we'll cook it up. Hey, did so you did I, you go I to totally the. Um, there's, a, there's a great book there. Did you go to the. Uh, and It sounds like there is. Did you go to the, the, uh, the Big Texan in Amarillo? Uh, I've been there before. So actually. The, the guy that owns that, his brother owns one of the 100-year-old restaurants in Kansas City, Missouri, a, a steakhouse. Really? So there's this inner family thing all over the country. But they're fascinating restaurant. But, I mean, we're talking all the way from a hamburger stand uh, where they claim to invent the hamburger um, to one of the finest hotels, re- resorts in the country, uh, the Greenbrier in uh, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I mean... We span, we have Italian restaurants, we have an uh, Italian bakery, we have a Japanese restaurant in Seattle where during the war, all the employees had to put their stuff in a little square on a floor in the hotel above, and they were sent off to deportation camps for the length of the war, and then they came back and their stuff was in this little pile, and they got their stuff and they continued on with the restaurant. One of the best restaurant Japanese restaurants in the country is this tiny little place you never you drive by and would not even look at it twice. But they've been around for a hundred years. I always I, I always try and find whenever I'm traveling the cool off the beaten path places. And one of the ways I try and find them is I look for places that look like you just described. Not very fancy, not very good, but you peek inside and there's lots of people eating in there. And, you know, it's almost inversely proportional. The crappier and more mundane the place looks, the better the food is if there are people in there. Yeah, well, I I experience that all over the country. I'm very much like you. In fact, I'm going to have to promise myself I'll pick up your book because I've done a lot with the road food books. I love traveling. I love eating. But I will not go to a chain restaurant, and I do not do fast food. Uh, I try to do something that's real, that's genuine. I would rather have a bad meal at a mom and pop in, you know, Keystone, Nevada, than the best meal on earth at a very, very fancy restaurant. I could not uh, agree more. You know, it's real. And that's what we've got to preserve is the culinary culture of America to keep it real. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You are so right on. Rick, you're, you, you are preaching the foodie gospel because it's not only the food but it's the people that make the food they're interesting they have great stories they're they're oh, absolutely they're they're absolutely. real folks and well it, i don't know if we if we've sent you a book yet <clears throat> but if we haven't we should because we I would love a, a book i will trade place. you i will yeah. trade you one of mine okay. for one of yours okay that sounds good mine costs 40 dollars uh, mine is worth a hundred, but I'll wave the sixty. <laughs> now, where can, well, do you have a you website, know, Rick, where people can kind of keep up on you and your travels? 
It's called Yes, and we're just beginning because the book officially is uh, released on October 15th. Great. Uh, so you guys are actually ahead of the game. It's called uh, CenturyOfRestaurants.com. And people can get the book there? Can they get them at all the other... They can They can, They can. can order it there. They can buy it online at any of the, the discount stores, you know, the online bookstores. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it'll be everywhere. And uh, you won't pay $40 online, and you'll get a good book, and everybody will be happy. Well, but, I, I uh, can't uh, tell you how much we've enjoyed having you on the show. It sounds like uh, you are the right person for the right job. Well, I appreciate it. I have to share something with you. I was just named this week as editor-in-chief of a brand-new food magazine that's going to come out next spring called Ooh. Barbecue America. And Congratulations. It's going to be the first real magazine that doesn't feature barbecue in June as a, hey, it's time to barbecue, and then forgets about it the rest of the year. It's going to be 365 days a year barbecue magazine. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to uncover a lot of places that you and I like, these back road places. Hey, I bet you know a guy named Jack Trigger from Texas, don't you? <laughs> I certainly do. Now, right. I we did uh, we did the – I'm going to tell you the story, and you, people don't believe me when I say the story. You tell me if you think it's true or not. We were, we were covering the uh, American Royal in Kansas City, and yeah. I, I walk up and I start talking to Jack and his wife, and he had won that event several times. And this particular year, he was he was competing in all four. And he was making his brisket when I was talking to him. And I go, so what's the trick with brisket? How do you keep winning over and over again? He goes, well, I'm going to tell you. I always go, when I get my meat, I make sure that I get the left brisket from the cow. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay. This Texas guy I sees this. something. Exactly. He sees the city boy coming. <laughs> And he's going to feed me a line of bullshit, and I'm going to go, oh, really? And I go, why, Jack, why? He goes, well, when cows are out in the field, they always get up like this here. And he pushes his right foot, you know, his right hand down as if the cow always pushes off on its right leg to get up, its right foreleg. And he goes, so that makes that muscle more, it's not as tender as the left one. And I I called him out on the air. I said, "That's I, I think that's bullshit. I think you're just making fun of me. He goes, okay, fine. Two hours later, boom, he won. Brisket. <laughs> uh, well, that's like a guy in uh, somewhere in Alabama. Uh, he's very, very conservative. I mean, really conservative, uh, which I'm not. And uh, he's, uh, he's famous for his chicken. And I said, uh, he says, well, you know, we only serve the right wings of these chickens. <laughs> and I said, really? And, and he says, yep, we only serve the right wings. I said, well, how do you tell which one's the right wing? Well, you look at it, and the one on the right side is the right wing, and we throw the other one away. I thought, oh, God, you just got me there. <laughs> but uh, there are such great culinary stories out there, both in barbecue and what you're doing with the small back road restaurant things. And if Guy Fieri doesn't beat it to death, uh, we still have a lot of exciting places to go to uh, around America, mom-and-pop places and stuff like that. Um, and again, I just want people to remember that. And if you're tempted to turn into a place that has yellow arches, don't just drive down the road and go to a place that's, that's mom's or, or Billy's or something like that. Cause you're going to get a better meal and you do a lot better for the country than a conglomerate that, you know, has people burning, uh, forests in Brazil to give them cheap beef. Yes, 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 yes. Pray, hallelujah. 
Absolutely. I, you said it best before when you say you'd rather have a crappy meal at a mom and pop than a great meal someplace else. I totally agree. Which odds are yeah. that you're going to have a phenomenal meal at a mom and pop. Right, because if it was crappy meal, they'd be closed. Yeah, exactly. And yep. as far as yep. Guy Fieri, yep. the guy's a clown. I I, I think he, yeah. the, the New York Times ripped him a new asshole, and I, I couldn't have been oh, happier. I, I, I love that review. In fact, I, I called, um, I think it's David Wells. I called yeah. him, and I said, fantastic review. And I said, I've been there. And I said, you called it. You nailed it right on the head. Just you know, it's contempt the, for your I've audience. Been the Food Network. I've been on Chop. I've had a show on public television for seven years. I've been on every major talk show today and Regis multiple times. What gets me is these quote-unquote celebrity chefs who, once they get on, suddenly think that they, they own the culinary world, that their restaurant doesn't smell like shit. Right. They all all they can do is open the restaurant and the people are going to flood in. And I'm so tired of that with these quote celebrity chefs. You know, come on. You know, you're cooking. And he's not even you know, a chef. Not, Everything on his show is is no. a fried piece of shit. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna see him probably this weekend. So I'll tell him. That you tell him I think he's a clown. You know what? Dye your hair back to whatever normal color it is. Take off all your bullshit and try and get on television with your actual. If, yeah, well, if you ever, you know, you know, it might be fun. Take read a transcript of one of his shows. All he says for a half hour is, "Oh, awesome, dude." That's the bomb. That's the bomb. That's the bomb. Well, really? that's what America. Is that's insightful watching. criticism. Yeah, well, that's what. Yeah, that's I've a reflection a of American audience. Kitchen wearing flip flops. Yeah, and the glasses oh, on the that's back so of his head. That's so disgusting. Well, Rick, you are such a breath life. of fresh air. Will you come back on the show in the future? We'd love to uh, have you I, on. You're I'd hilarious. Love to talk about barbecue or old restaurants or new restaurants or anything you want. I just love talking food, but real food. Love it, love it, love it, Rick. This is Rick Brown. The name of the the book again. The short name of the book. A century of restaurants. <laughs> Restaurants, 100 restaurants that are each at least 100 years old here in America. The book comes out October 15th, and you can get it at Rick's website, which is? A century of restaurants. No, it's just century. Centuryofrestaurants.com. Centuryofrestaurants.com. The book comes out on the 15th. Get a copy of it. It sounds, you know what? It, your book sounds like the bomb. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll put the glasses on back of my head and put spiky stuff on my hair. Oh, yeah. Now you're my man. Rick, thanks for joining us on the Fork of the Road. We'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) Talk to you soon, Rick. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, what a delightful man. Why did you have to start, you know, talking bad about Because he's, You know what? Because he's a clown. That's, in my opinion, he's a clown. And, and you know what? Anthony Bourdain. Oh, wait. We're talking Very talented. What what is it that he Guy does? Fieri is a clown. What does he do? What does he do? He walks around. Let's not give him. We don't need to give him any airtime. There's so many people in the food. Not the guy that eats like the no. Big the guy burgers. with the big white spiky hair who has the uh, seven word vocabulary. He's a clown. Uh, okay, you know, I thought it was so the many... one that goes and eats like the no, biggest that's... burger. That this that. Oh, Adam Richmond. He's another clown. Oh, cool. But but uh, uh, yeah, Fieri. There, there's so many chefs and celebrity chefs that actually know what they're doing and are actually. You know, writing interesting things and covering interesting things. The fact that that guy, I, mm. yeah, I don't get it. Either. Not a fan. Not I a don't fan. watch it. I God, don't even God know. love him that he can make a living, but just you know what? Spend your money elsewhere. Get Rick's book. Get Rick Brown's book. That sounds fantastic. It's an interesting book about interesting places. Well, look at look at what America's watching these days. They're watching the Kardashians. They're watching reality TV. It's all about having this horrible personality because I guess it makes people feel like you know, oh, somebody else is crazier than I am. Well, that's true. The squeaky wheel. 
gets the fish or what? the bacon. bacon. Squeaky wheel gets the bacon. Do you know it was where bacon was invented? Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere in the, the south. The same place as the Boston cream pie? Bacon wasn't invented. Pigs are bacon. Right. No, bacon was first <laughs> no. baked. Oh, wait, I no. just read it because I did my no. homework. I looked bacon it up. Bacon was it. Yeah. You know where water was invented? <laughs> Shut up. I will look it up right now. No, I guarantee you. Bacon probably wasn't even invented in, It was. that's an old world meat. It was not invented here. The hobbits knew bacon. The hobbits knew bacon. On, the Sumerians knew now bacon. I have to go look for it. Bacon was not invented in Boston. I have to go look for it now. You do that, baby. And if you can show me that bacon was invented. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I just read it. I swear to you. 1963. There was no bacon before that. No, I was looking for Ho Chi Minh. And I found the thing about bacon. Bacon was. I'll look for it again. Uh, and I'll stop. It was the not next invented interview. or discovered. At some point in the recent, uh, in, in the deep, deep past, a pig fell onto a fire and smelled good, and the cavemen started eating. And that's how bacon was discovered. Hold on, I'm looking for it. And uh, let's go to our next guest. And I'm gonna keep looking for bacon. Maybe he knows. Maybe Mr. Bellini knows where bacon comes from. We're, you know what? Let's find out right now. Rick Amore, welcome to a fork on the road. Uh, now, we were talking earlier in the show that, uh, I, I, did you invent, I, I know nothing about Bellinis. Bellinis are a thing that people make. Bellini is champagne with peach puree, That correct? people like make in a bar? How does it work, Rick? That's Explain exactly it. right. That's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was invented in 1947 in a little bar, Harry's Bar in Venice, Italy. Been uh, there. The uh, bar there. owner, mm-hmm. uh, Giuseppe Cipriani, decided to mix peach puree with uh, Prosecco, Italian sparkling wine, one day, and the color reminded him of a painting that he had seen by a 15th century painter by the name of uh, Giovanni Bellini, so he named the drink the Bellini. That's when the Bellini was born, 1947. I did not know he named it after a painting. There you go. That's yep. interesting. So uh, now, and, and, and they've been obviously being served, they do the big cocktail thing in Venice in the afternoons where everyone sits outside and they have their, their Bellini or their, their cocktail there. What you, what you're making is actually called, it's bottled as Bellini? I'm confused. Yeah. Is it a different thing? Is yeah. it a new champagne? He put in the Explain peach it to me. inside the champagne. How does he fit it? The so peaches are much bigger drink. than the hole in the bottle. <laughs> well, you're, you're both right. I mean, this is a, it's a version of the Bellini. It is not made with peach puree, but it's made with natural peach flavor. Mm-hmm. So it follows the original uh, mixology of uh, the Bellini. Uh, but I decided to mix it with flavor instead of peach puree for a whole host of reasons, uh, not the least of which there's no sediment, there's not an expiration date, it won't go bad, uh, it's not murky. Uh, I mean, I love the original Bellini, uh, but I just thought of a way to make it better. And so a way that you Bellini don't have to go to a up, bar. You can have it uh, Yeah, who has peach puree at their house just sitting around? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Right, well, in the ensuing, what, 60-plus years, 70-plus uh, years since it was invented, people will mix, uh, they'll puree some fruit in a blender, they'll mix it with some sparkling wine, and they'll make their own bellinis. And it's really interesting because uh, people have made strawberry bellinis, blueberry bellinis, go online and you'll see a whole you know, host of different kinds of bellinis. So I thought the time was right to give uh, consumers a pre-mixed, ready-to-go, uh, ready to serve uh, Bellini that you know is fresh and delicious without the need for having to mix the ingredients. And, and where is your? Are you up in like wine country? Are you here in California? 
Yeah, uh, it's produced in Lodi. The uh, grapes that go into the base wine for the sparkling wine come from different appellations, Lodi being one of them, but Napa Valley also being one of those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a mixture of different champagne uh, grapes. There's Chardonnay grapes in there, in it. There's French Columbard. There's also Pinot Noir grapes, uh, which give it the color. And that's one of the things that we're proud of is that the light pink uh, tone or color to the beverage is actually natural, derived from contact with the Pinot Noir skins during the uh, fermentation process. Mm. So is this sweeter than uh, like a Prosecco? Is it sweeter than champagne? It is sweeter and it has a hint of peach and it is delicious. Yes. <laughs> delicious. No, no, thank you. And thank you for the question. Yeah, it is a bit sweeter, but not uh, as sweet as, uh, as as other wines on the market. Um, it's got some residual sugar of about 24%. Uh, a Moscato, for instance, which is probably the sweetest wine you'll see on the shelves uh, at your local grocery store at BevMo, uh, is about 80 or 90% residual sugar. So we toned it down considerably because we wanted that hint of peach without being it without it being too sweet. We didn't want that, uh, you know, to be, um, you know, a part of our, our of our beverage. And I think that the light sweetness of it and the hint of peach um, is really what, um, you know, helped define our market and make it popular. And actually, uh, we're proud to say we got a gold medal. We received a gold medal at the 2012 San Francisco International Wine Competition as a result. So I think we hit the I, hit, I think we hit the mixture just right. So you just you just started this company and you're already winning awards like right out of the gate. Well, yeah, thanks. I mean, we were just in uh, a few months into the business, and I uh, submitted it thinking, you know, what the heck? I mean, we think it's it's great. We think the name is great, um, but let's see what you know what other people think of it objectively. And yeah, within three or four months of starting, bingo, we hit a we win a gold medal, and it's quite a game changer for us. It was. And the name of it, the name of the product is just Bellini, or is it something else? It's Bel Air Bellini. Oh. It's Bel Air Bellini. Yeah, I named it Bel Air Bellini because I just thought it had a nice ring to it, and the community of Bel Air has this um, uh, this um, uh, reputation of for style and elegance, and has that aura about it. And I thought, wow, that would be a great marriage to put the two t- uh, terms together, Bel Air and Bellini. A lot of people didn't think I could do it because they said, oh, you can't trademark. Bel Air Bellini, and I, I, I knew you couldn't trademark Bel Air, and you couldn't trademark Bellini, but together, I believe, you know, I felt that I could, and indeed I did, and it became a registered trademark. Fantastic. Now, is this available all over the country, or is it just here in California? Because you know how wine well, people can get, Rick. They're very snobby, and if you, you know, <laughs> if it's not a 15-year-old vintage that wine connoisseur has given a 98 to, no one's going to, you know, you haven't arrived. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, well, it's available in California. We just got accepted into Sprouts Farmer's Market in Fresno. Uh, they're a chain of over 100 grocery stores mm-hmm. and across the country. I believe they're the fastest-growing grocery store, so we're delighted to get Kind of like a Whole Foods kind of place? But, the, the, I'm sorry? The Sprouts is kind of like a Whole Foods kind of vibe to it? Exactly. Kind of healthy? Yeah. Yep. That's probably the best analogy out there in the marketplace. And we're delighted to get in one store, but we're trying to get into others. Um, it's in 17 liquor stores, in Lee's liquor stores in Las Vegas. But we're just in our infancy. You know, we're just getting started. Uh, we're trying to increase our production. We're still you know, in the throes of our funding concerns, like most small companies. 
uh, you know, in the country, no matter what you know people are making, they need to to get the financing to keep going. And mm-hmm. so, we've got a uh, program on Kickstarter. I don't know if some of your listeners know about Kickstarter, but you know, I hear uh, I've been hearing that term. Explain to me what sure. that is and how it works. Sure, uh, Kickstarter is an international funding platform um, through which uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, finance their creative projects in a number of different categories, like film or games or technology, art, design, music, or as in our case, food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the media uh, fairly recently because of Comic Con down in San Diego. Uh, Kristen Bell and some of her colleagues uh, went on Kickstarter to raise money for a movie project, Veronica Mars. And apparently they had gone to this, the studio, uh, Warner Brothers, I think. And they had turned thumbs down on making it, so they went. They took their project to Kickstarter, wanting to raise two million dollars, and they indeed, they in fact raised five million dollars. It was unbelievable. Well, well I don't understand why people would contribute money to have a movie made. What do the people get back? Right. Well, for pledges, they don't get any equity in the film or in the enterprise or in the company, but they get um, rewards that the creators of the projects would come up with. So in that case, in the Veronica Mars project, they got uh, a copy of the movie when it came out, uh, invitations to the premiere. Uh, so the creators of the project created a whole host of um, pledges at different pledge amounts, and those people that pledge those certain amounts get that reward uh, in return. So that's what you know, that's what inspired over 90,000 people responded fa- uh, favorably to the Veronica Mars project. Well, I mean, it was That's going to be successful. a big premiere. <laughs> what if they never make the movie? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. If, if you don't raise, you set your own, um, your own goal. Uh, the, so the creator of the project sets their own goal. If they didn't reach the amount that they had set for their goal, they wouldn't have made any money. So it's an all or nothing proposition. So if you reach your goal or exceed your goal by the deadline, then... Uh, you receive the money from all the different... Uh, but what if factories. they take the money and run? <laughs> and never make the movie? <laughs> well, I think, you know, they've got plenty of disclaimers on Kickstarter that they're not, you know, attesting to the veracity of the project, even though they do their best mm. uh, to research and investigate. Um, but, yeah, that's that's certainly, a, you know, a risk of, of investing is that the person or the persons are not going to follow through with their project. But I think they've had a pretty good record up to this point. I don't think... There've been that many projects that haven't been completed. So, so someone goes, "Oh, okay, I like that." It's a, an extension of the television show, right? Veronica Mars wasn't that a TV show? Yes. Okay. So, yes. oh, gee, I like that show. I'm going to send these guys 200 bucks, and when the movie comes out, I get to go to the premiere and meet the actors. Is it that kind of thing? Exactly right. Exactly right. Or they get a copy of the script. Uh-huh. I mean, they had a whole bunch of different types of rewards that they uh, set on their, you know, on their uh, uh, on their program on their on their Kickstarter campaign. And yeah, they raised uh, yeah over I think it was five million seven hundred thousand and change. I mean, unbelievable wow. ninety one thousand plus backers. Are they selling Amazing. parts in the movie too? Like you can be an extra or you can be a background person. You know, it's funny you mention that because I think at the largest pledge level, which on their um, campaign I think it was ten thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. They uh, the prize was, and they had one. Uh, one such reward available. They, uh, the person that donated that much money got a speaking uh, part in the movie. Wow. So yeah, they did. They, they offered a, a role in the movie. That was great. Somebody's rich daddy just bought the- their kid a... Part in the movie. That's Veronica Mars. Well, you know, that's an interesting kind of thing where you can tap into a fan base, and if people like what you're doing, they can kind of help you uh, achieve it. But it, it also right? guarantees that um, people... 
really do want to see it. Right. Because if nobody cared about Veronica Mars, then nobody would have given money for it, then the film is not made. Right. You know it's going to be a hit when you have a fan base and people actually want to see it, so they put money towards seeing that specific film. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting Absolutely. idea. Well, so, but, and I see how that works with Veronica Mars, but how does that work with a new drink pro I mean no one's no one's heard of Bel Air Bellini until you brought it out how where right. where do where do the fans come from why would people do, do, do the kickstarter for a drink Exactly I'm glad you asked that because kickstarter is not a be all end all for everyone in that case people knew about it but in most cases of the projects that are on the the uh, the website they have to generate their own momentum. They have to promote it themselves. They have to go out to their networks of family and friends and say, hey, guys, we're on Kickstarter. So they really have to drive traffic to uh -huh. it because you're right. You know, most of these companies like ours come from obscurity, and we're trying to make a name for ourselves and trying to be known. Uh, and Kickstarter, other than providing you with a platform, doesn't necessarily do any advertising or promotion of your uh, campaign. So you have to go out there and talk about it. And looking at the other beverage projects that have been on, uh, they've gotten modest success, but the numbers have been such, like the 140 range, 200 range plus, right in that range, it looks like most of those people were family and friends. Uh -huh. So we went on and we're telling you know, everybody we know, hey, you know, go, go see us on Kickstarter and you know, type in Bella Bellini in the search bar and, and, and uh, you know, please support us. That's so interesting. You're right. It's not going to autom automatically happen. Well, but you know what? I was talking to uh, Rich Melman in last week's show. Rich is a, a very, very successful restaurateur out of Chicago. He's, he's opened up 170 restaurants, and one of them has failed, literally one. And he said, I said, what's the most important thing about restaurants? And I'm thinking he would say location or, you know, the staff or the ambiance. He said, taste. You know, <laughs> which wow. I guess is pretty simple. If the food tastes good, people will come back. And I mm -hmm. guess that's... That's the most important thing with any edible product. If if the if the drink is good, if the steaks are delicious, people keep coming back. It sure is, and it was so important that we had not only a good name but a good product because I thought, you know, Bella Bellini it has a little panache to it. People may pick it up the first time, but if it doesn't taste good, they're not going to come back and buy it again. Right. So we had to make it good. We had to make it a good quality product so we'd get a lot of fans. And we've got people. I just got an email today from a couple that want to order six uh, cases for their daughter's wedding. We've already done four weddings in the short time that we've been in existence, so people really like it for a lot of different reasons. Well, you know what? We, we've had a bottle, and I, I, I'm not a huge champagne drinker, but I actually like the Bellini. It's, a little, it's got that little bit of fruity flavor to it. It was delicious. And uh, Yenny liked it quite a bit, which helps me to like it even more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was very, Thanks. very well, tasty. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, we're, we're not alone because I wasn't and am not a big champagne drinker. I always thought most champagne, for my palate anyway, was too tart and acidic. I mean, I would toast in uh, honor of the couple at a wedding, but I'd set it down, and invariably I wouldn't finish drinking it. Uh -huh. I really wanted something that tasted good. So I really, I love Bellar Bellini because it tastes good and it's refreshing and I can drink it, you know, all evening. Well, I, I, I wish you the best with it, Rick. Hopefully we can continue to uh, work with you here on the show and, and help get the word out. That would be fun. And uh, I, I, I would, you know, maybe we should like drink a bottle of Bel Air Bellini before we do every, every show <laughs> and see how that affects the really conversation. Yeah. <laughs> It'll relax if, you. If I, may, I, if I may, I'd like to make a special offer to your listeners. Sure. 
Um, on Kickstarter, there's different levels of uh, contribution, and I'd like to offer for just your listeners, if uh, someone donates or contributes uh, $50 or more, if they send me an email, uh, because that would be the only way I could really track it, and I can give you my email address, saying that they heard about uh, Bella Bellini on your show, then I will send them um, a voucher for a bottle of Bellini. So I will get a bottle and the voucher because they have to confirm that they're 21, and I've got to be careful along those lines, right. but I will get them a bottle of Bellini in, a, in addition to what we have on the site. Oh, that's oh, awesome. That's well, wonderful. thanks very much. People are sure, going to be relaxed all over America. <laughs> I have one more May question my, for you. Besides no, the Bellini, do you have, like, are you planning on doing strawberry or blueberries or pomegranate? Pomegranate is very popular right now. Yes, and thank you uh, for that. We, we have um, raspberry and pomegranate that have already Ooh, been approved raspberry. for production, and we're coming out with that after uh, the first of the year. I am looking and forward to that. Oh, and the pomegranate's healthy got, for you. You can, it's it's like a it's like a tonic. It's but like you know what? Pectin. Raspberry is always good when you mix it in a drink. Always. I usually don't like raspberries by themselves, but in a drink, they're delicious. Why wouldn't you like raspberries uh, by themselves? I, I don't I like chewing on the seeds. They're kind of. I will tell you th this as well. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, and this, uh, no one but our inner circle knows. But after the first of the year, I'd love to come out with, and we're working on it, and we've got it almost perfected, a chocolate Bellini. How would that be? Ooh. Oh, my God. Okay, that sounds delicious. Yeah, and his eyes just <laughs> lit up like uh, Bugs Bunny. I want to try. I, you know what? I, I want to try all of them and review them. I think that uh, we should try one <laughs> by one. <laughs> well, that, now we have something to look forward to in 2014. Well, Rick, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. You bet. May I give my email address sure. to those of your listeners? It's uh, Amore, spelled A as an apple, M as in Mary, O as in orange, R as in red, like Amore without the E, at com, which is B-E-L-A-I-R-C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. All right. Awesome. So people can, can uh, get their certificate for a bottle of Bellini. And then, you know what? You can you can uh, call us here at the show at 424 Oh, four four two four two five zero fork, and you can leave a review of what you thought of the Bellinis. If you're not too hammered, if you're hammered, we're not going to put you on the air. <laughs> but if you're relatively sober, you don't have to be completely sober, but relatively sober, four two four two fifty fork, and you can tell us what you think. And uh, I think that Rick was a great guest. Thanks for coming on the show, Rick. We appreciate your time and best of luck with Bel Air Bellini the kickstart. I want to find out how that goes. We could do a oh, kickstarter. Thanks. thanks we could for do a kickstarter. You guys are terrific. I love your show. Thanks Thank very you. much. Keep we'll listening. We'll talk to you later, Rick. Bye, Rick. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a show. We've been all over. We talked about, about Italian food. We talked about the, the festas. We talked about comedy in Cabo. We talked about the, the, uh, the podcast that's going on this mm -hmm. weekend in Los Angeles that Sean um, couldn't quite pronounce. <laughs> But I'm guessing since he's going to be there. Can you, can you say it three it times again. real fast in a row? LA Podcast Festival. You got to say it three, three times fast. Go. The LA Podcast Festival, LA Podcast Festival, LA Podcast Festival. There you, you know go. He's been practicing. He was. He was in the other room. I saw yeah. him staring in the mirror, watching his <laughs> lips. 
<laughs> you got the LA Podcast Festival this weekend. You've got the Cabo Comedy Festival. You got my band Old Blues Eyes playing down at the La Dolce Vita Festival in Laguna Niguel. And you got whatever you got planned. And if uh, you got nothing planned, then get online and grab that Bellini. That's It'll be right. a party at your house. And as always, the best way to find out what's going on around the country and around our house is to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mark DiCarlo on Twitter. You get deals, you get uh, coupons, and you find out where we are and what we're doing. So follow me at uh, Mark DiCarlo on Twitter. Yes. Right, the at sign. At Mark DiCarlo. Mark DiCarlo. Correct. They know how to use the Twitter. The Twitter. The kids today with their Twitter, I love it. Well, that rap, 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 rap. That was, <laughs> that was my impression of Sean. That about wraps up the show. <laughs> You're so mean. That about wraps up the show. This is our 25th episode of A Fork on the Road. Delicious and fun. We want to thank our guests, Rick Amore and Rick Brown, and the ever loquacious Sean Merrick for helping us out. I'm Mark DiCarlo, and until next time, she's going to be Yenny Alvarez DiCarlo, and we'll see you on A Fork on the Road.